Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Mitch Light joins us today. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Good news for Vanderbilt baseball. The Commodores go to Knoxville and take two out of three from Tennessee, those games being game one and three. The Commodores now at 11-4. and four. They are in a first-place tie with Arkansas for the top spot in the Southeastern Conference. Mitch Light appears on our guest line. That's presented by my friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. You have heard me rave about Bowling Branch sheets for years. There's a reason. They're the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. They are made of 100% organic rain-fed cotton. They get softer with every wash. I've raved about them. I've slept on other sheets in the meantime. You always go back to Bowling Branch. Don't just take my word for it. Try them yourself. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY. Get $50 off your first set of sheets, and you can thank me for that later. We welcome Mitch Light to the podcast. Mitch joins us every week here, and we're going to spend our time talking baseball today. I know there's a lot of questions about the spring game, and I'll get to those in some other podcasts, but Mitch did not see the spring game because he was in Knoxville for the baseball series, and what a memorable one that was, Mitch. Well, I was I, I just told you I was in Knoxville. That was on Saturday, Chris. That was the only day I was there. So oh, I, oh, sorry. I, I heard I heard Knoxville and I think I quit listening at, at days. Well it was it was yeah. memorable. Uh yeah. but uh, maybe yeah, not in the was, way you hoped. So it was a fun trip went with my son and and two buddies. Uh and uh, you know, I would have gone to the spring game, obviously, but what Vanderbilt was eleven and four in the SEC. I have been to three of the losses. So um and went to one of the road games there. And I, I realized it was the first, I think the first road Vanderbilt baseball game, true road game I've ever been to. I've been to Omaha three times. I have been to two regionals in Louisville, but they did not play Louisville in the day I was there. Um, thought I might have gone to MTS. Actually, you know what? I went to the Belmont game at Rose Park. I don't know if you can call that as a true road game. It's a little more hostile in Knoxville than that trip to Belmont about five, six, seven years ago. So, um, Quick day trip there and had, you know, fun day. You know, it's just it was just fun watching some baseball. Um, and it was an eventful game, no doubt about that. So where's the address that people can send their boards with nails in them? Uh, <laughs> it sends to Chris Lee's house. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, seriously, well, I know, of course, you watch the other games, I'm sure, on TV. But I want to ask you, what was it like being in the ballpark for that game Saturday? From what I heard, it was pretty electric. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I, I'd never been to a game at UT before, so um, I've watched games there, and, and no doubt this was the biggest series, biggest series for Tennessee baseball. Um, some people were saying ever. Obviously, they've had really good teams in the past, but you could argue with the, the escalation of the sport in the past 10 years that even if they had a top five series 20 years ago, it would not have been as big of a deal. So you could argue that it was the biggest series. So you would expect that, um, you know, ba- uh, 
a lot of baseball crowds are gener- the excitement. And that there was definitely a buzz in the stadium. I'm not going to say there wasn't. But a lot of it was like, does the home team get a lot to cheer about? Well, the home team right. had four home runs. Um, and so there was a lot to cheer about. And, and, you know, Vanderbilt hit two home runs. That's a lot more exciting than some sack flies, unless the sack fly happens to be to the shortstop. But we can talk about that later. So, um, again, not trying to diminish it at all. It was cool. Uh, we, I had good seats, enjoyed the environment and all that. But I'm not going to sit here and say it was the, like the greatest baseball environment I've ever been in. Yeah, I mean, I think it is good, though, for the league to see places like that get yes. excited. And and obviously, there's that's probably a crowd that's got a lot to learn, um, you know, because baseball's kind of a, a new thing there. But I just think it's good for the league to see new fans. And I don't think a sport has benefited in this league from the advent of the SEC network the way baseball has. Maybe softball could have an argument. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and, you know, I, I don't. I kind of compare it to, I forgot what year it was. Um, you know, I didn't get Vanderbilt season tickets until 2007. Just I had young kids and um, and you just couldn't get away much. And I finally got them because I wanted to be sure I could get regional tickets. But I remember like there was a Georgia series, maybe in 2004 or five. And it just seemed like that became that's when it became the thing to do locally. Go to Vanderbilt games and they beat Georgia, maybe swept them. And it was a great environment. It was sort of like this new thing. And now that, that series against Georgia in whatever year wasn't nearly as big as this series because you had two top five teams and rivals. But it's sort of like it, – and, and I wasn't – you know, LSU series – I know they played LSU at home a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I played Florida last weekend. But it seems like this was the series, even though they've had a good year all year, that this was the series that it just sort of became the thing to do in Knoxville. The one criticism I'd have of, of Vanderbilt baseball, and this isn't really directed at the team or the coaches, but the one thing that has kind of gone downhill, I think, is volume and intensity at Hawkins Field. It's just kind of like people have taken the winning for granted, and I think a lot of your season ticket holders, maybe you're are pretty well-heeled boosters who don't go to a lot of the games. I mean, there's not a lot of atmosphere behind home plate except for the Whistler it just seems to me like I remember being at the regional in 07 and that atmosphere was incredible, but it doesn't seem to have the passion in the seats at Hawkins Field the way it used to. And I know this year, COVID, all that, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, this is something I've been watching for years before we ever knew what COVID was. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of uh, the winning and kind of expecting to win. Uh, you know, back in 2007, it was all new. You had a lot of people there for the first time. Um, you know, the regional the atmospheres in the regional games have been have been good um, in recent years or usually uh, almost all, all cases. I think it's, you know, uh, the, the nature of the quote unquote Vanderbilt fan is just not going to be the same. Like, I don't mean to generalize, but as a, as a group, as a Mississippi State fan and all that, you know, uh, over the year, it's clearly not the same as it was used to be at Memorial. Memorial obviously used to have raucous environments, but um, I think it's an, just a combination of a lot of things. But yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with what you're saying. A lot to talk about from the series itself, and we've got a ton of questions, so I need to leave time for those. But a lot of guys hit the ball on Sunday, but I really think Enrique Bradfield Jr., and you referenced the tag up on the sack fly to short. Uh, which is not something you put in the scorebook often. He seemed to me the guy that just ignited that whole game because he was an all, when he was on base, he just seemed to have pitchers distracted. And at a time where they really needed to win, you know, Tim Corbin sometimes will push the aggressive button a little harder 
which I thought he did, and I thought for the most part it really worked for them. And, of course, when you've got Enrique Bradfield Jr., it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, you know, every word superlative you want to throw out there, he's just one of the biggest disruptors I've ever seen on the base pass at any level. Um, And he can hit the ball, too. Like, Vanderbilt's had some fast guys in the past. You know, Alonzo Jones was known for his speed but never proved to be a consistent enough hitter where, where, you know, uh, Enrique Bradfield started off the series or started the game Saturday night with a line drive out to the outfield. So, I mean, he hit the ball hard throughout the weekend and he gets on base. It's almost become like a thing. Pitchers worry about him, but then like the more you talk about it, the more it becomes a thing and they worry about it even more. And um, I thought the announcer made it. Who was doing the color commentary for Tennessee? Um, I don't know. It was obviously someone who was a major league pitcher. Yeah. I don't know if that was Rick Honeycutt, maybe. I thought he was pretty good. Um, yeah, I did yeah, I too. Know of, I, I know the quote, quote, a lot of the local SEC network guys get, you know, get some abuse for being too much homers or not enough, all that stuff. But I thought he was pretty good. I didn't watch every pitch yesterday. I was uh, listened, was doing in and out. But um, he made a point once when Bradfield was on third base. Uh, I think Carter Young ended up driving him in, but the pitcher was in the in the windup, and he's like, he he could steal home there, and you know, just w- what a disruption. You could argue, like I think Friday night on one of his steals, he might have been thrown out on a good throw and all that. But it, college baseball players are very good, but they're not major leaguers. And if you put them in pressure situations and they have to make a perfect throw, they're not going to make a perfect throw every time. And we saw that multiple times this weekend. We've seen that with Bradford. Uh, Bradfield. I made that same mistake that a lot of people make with Bradfield. So yeah, he, he puts so much pressure on the offense, on the defense, and he's proven to be a good enough hitter that he's just, he, he's going to be a menace for, for, for three years and he's got great speed in the outfield. Um, he has been, I knew there were high hopes for him, Chris, but I think we all agree that he's been better than advertised. I would agree. The other thing that was important about what he did is Jason Gonzalez leads off the sixth or whatever it was with an apparent double to right. They review the play. They call him out. I don't know if it was the right call or not. I was thinking when they review it, unless there was clear evidence that he touched the bag, which I couldn't see. Some people claim to have seen it. I don't know. I expected when that went to replay that that was going to happen. But that's the kind of play that can sort of turn the momentum and give a little energy to another dugout. And that's when Bradfield does his thing. He gets on, steals two bases, and then takes home on that. I just thought that it wasn't just the fact that he did it, uh, but that was right place, right time as well. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. He is a, you know, changes momentum in games. Now, he can also, he's only been thrown out twice, and yesterday was when he kind of overslid the base. So he wasn't, I mean, technically he was caught stealing, but it can, you know, it, it can be a momentum killer for the offense too, getting thrown out in the base pass. So that's why it's been so good for Vanderbilt that he's been so effective and he has picked and chosen his, his or chosen his, the right spots to be aggressive. So he is, uh, you know, I think he's a player that those that follow college football, college basketball have known about, but I think after this weekend, he has uh, kind of, he is in the national, you know, everyone knows about him. Everyone's going to be talking about him. Obviously it's still Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter and all that stuff, but uh, he, he's, he might be the next guy that people talk about when they talk about, uh, Vanderbilt baseball now. I want to ask you a question, and I want to see if you're thinking what I'm thinking. If you got one guy you can send to the plate with the game on the line on this team right now, who would it be? That's a great question. Um, I think it's uh, – I'm going to go Jack Bulger over Carter Young, and I'm looking at the stats right to see if I'm contradicting myself because of strikeouts. 
Yes. Um, Young has struck out 41 times. Bolger struck out 21 times. Young's been to the plate 140 times versus 99. I, either one of those guys. I have a little more confidence in Bolger to make to make better contact than Young. I guess it decide if you Young's a, what side of the plate he's on uh, hitting hitting from. Uh, but I, it would be one of those two guys. I would go C.J. Rodriguez and then Bolger. Ooh. That's my order. Okay. And I'll tell you one reason why. Rodriguez is walking 20% of the time and he's striking out 10. You know, the thing was, he always got his bat on the ball, his contact rate, 87%. That's the highest on the team of their regulars. I just think in that situation, he almost never swings at a bad pitch. He makes a lot of contact, and now, as often as not, that contact is pretty hard. I just feel like when he's at the plate, you might not get the results you want, but you're going to feel like he didn't get cheated or he didn't self-destruct. Put it this way, I'm not surprised he hit a home run in that, in that big spot either. No, no, me either. Um, yeah. And um, lost my train of thought. One thing about Carter Young, though, I think it would surprise if you, if you watched every Vanderbilt game and didn't know the stats at all, if you told someone that Carter Young, what, they're, what he was hitting, I think most people would probably say 350. He's quote unquote only hitting 300, but big spots this year. So that's a case where, and I know batting average isn't the all be all end all and not even what it was years ago, but uh, here's a case where he, he's, he's clearly a better hitter than a 300 hitter in my mind. Well, here's what it is. He's hitting 246 on balls in play. That's what's killing his average. Interesting. I didn't realize it was that low. Which tell him, and that's something that usually turns around because Carter hits the ball hard, right? Yes. Like if you're a slap hitter or whatever, or, or you're, you know, you're, you're pull happy and don't hit the ball hard. That's one thing. But Carter is none of those things. You know, he, he switch hits. He uses all parts of the field. He hits it hard. So I think that's a spot. If you look at a guy that's due for an uptick in batting average, that's a good place to start. Yeah. And I mean, he's got 33 RBIs and he's just hit some big home runs too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, any line, and we saw this against Georgia, any SEC lineup can look impotent on any given night against an SEC starter. You know, that just happens. But more often than not this year, we've seen just incredible depth of this Vanderbilt lineup. And Jason Gonzalez, he got credited with an 0 for 4 because he that was an out, even though, you know, but he got a hit there, you know, hit a home run, obviously, Friday and Saturday night. So, uh, you know, a guy batting – Got six home runs, batting three fifteen in the nine hole, just gives that lineup such depth. This season of the podcast made possible by my friend Jody Jones, DDS. He is a Commodore booster and former Vanderbilt football player. Check out his offices at 55 Music Square East. Jody serves athletes, music stars, all kinds of celebrities. They've got a spy-like atmosphere there. You have to see it to believe it. It is an amazing ambiance. Jody's been voted the number one cosmetic dentist in the Nashville area. Go see him and you'll see why. Anyway, go see my friend, Dr. Jody Jones. Tell him you appreciate his making this episode and this season of the podcast possible. Talk some Vandy sports while you're in there. You will be glad that you did. All right, no cheating. What pitcher with over 20 innings pitched has the lowest ERA the lowest runners per innings pitched, and the lowest free pass percentage on the team. Same guy. Nick Maldonado? Yep. He's been incredible. He really has been. I, 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 I completely trust him with the ball in his hands, and I would have never thought that 
four months ago. Will he be the closer going forward? Well, I asked that today in a piece I wrote uh, because the, the problem with saving him to close is you might want to bring him with one or two outs in the seventh in a spot and, and let him to close the weekend. But the issue they're going to have uh, is, you know, sometimes you like to use a guy like that twice on weekends. And so that's going to be the dilemma with them going forward is how do they play that? I, I think your hope is that you you get an 11-2 to two blowout or something in game one because then maybe you got him for, for two and three. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they use him and how they balance that that high leverage, maybe sixth or seventh inning spot with holding him out to close if that's what they choose. Yeah, you know, I don't. One thing college baseball, Vanderbilt's had some years where there's been a defined closer. A lot of teams have defined closers. You don't really need one. You know, they Tim Corbin doesn't need to come out and say Nick Maldonado's our closer or um, um, John a blank the the, the actual closer. Luke um, Murphy. Luke Murphy's still our closer. He just. Use the pitchers how you best think they need to be used. And here's a perfect example that Nick Maldonado was able to pitch, you know, effectively in, in a game Friday and Sunday, and, and they didn't just hold him for specific spots. And now, you know, if Vanderbilt didn't have so many injuries, I don't think Luke Murphy would have been as early as he was. That's a different story right there. But, um, you know, he kind of reminds me of a different pitcher. But as a freshman, I don't think I've ever had more confidence in a freshman pitcher at Vanderbilt um, than, than Hayden Stone during that national title. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And the, I think I have the same feeling with when Nick Maldonado's in there. It's like you, you're surprised when they make con- hard contact. Yeah, they're different types of pitchers. I felt like Stone Slider was more of a wipeout version, although yeah. Mald- Maldonado's is darn good, too. Uh, but Maldonado's got better control. So Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he was just – he was the the – you know, the, the right guy at the right time yesterday, you know, he, w- once you got to the eighth inning, you felt pretty confident for Vanderbilt. But on a Sunday and a weekend where the ball's been flying out of that park, no lead was safe. Um, you know, I, McElvain, would, I don't know what he ended up doing, three innings, one run or two runs, whatever, four innings, four and I think. Two. Yeah. Or, and t- yeah, two home runs. But, I mean, let's be – the ball was flying out of that yeah. place. Solo home, run, solo home runs weren't going to get you beat yesterday, obviously, because didn't Tennessee hit four. But um, so I thought he was great. And, you know, I, uh, staff dealing with some injuries, he, he came up huge. Because if, if, he, if he doesn't get the job done there in, in, in that spot, middle relief, then, you know, Vanderbilt might still win the game, but it might have been one of those, you know, 10-9 games or something like that, not the comfortable win that they had. You want to go grab some out of the mailbag before we get you out of here? Uh, sure, I got – I'm looking at the clock. I'm just leaving for my son's game a little bit. I got a little more time, but, yeah, we can go right to the mailbag. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's go – yeah, let's go to the mailbag, and then if we got some time left over, we'll okay. – um, We'll dive into something else here. So, Okay. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell me you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. VU Titans asks, has Maldonado replaced Murphy as a closer? We basically just hit that. I don't think so, but what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't. I would say no right now, partly because Tim's loyal. And even though, you know, they're both young pitchers. And I just like Maldonado's flexibility right now, but that doesn't, you know, if, if you're up four two in on Friday night, and Maldonado comes in for the seventh and shuts him down seventh and eighth, I would keep him in. 
Does that mean he's your closer? I don't know. It just means he's a reliever who pitched well. Does Tim do that? My guess is this Friday night he would bring in – he'd go to Murphy in the ninth if, if with a two-run lead after Maldonado gives him two. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think we need to see more. The next one comes from PWB66. Do you think the Vandy boys' offense will be more consistent by playoff time? I know statistically they'll lead the SEC, but sometimes they look like they don't have a clue. That kind of goes back to what I said before. Any On any given day, any SEC offense can look bad. Uh, I mean, Arkansas won, scored against Texas A&M, didn't they score like four, 10, 14, and then they scored eight or nine on Sunday and scored one, uh, lost a tight game on Saturday. Any offense can get shut down, and, and I think this offense has been pretty consistent. You know, did not have a good weekend against Georgia, but I've got – I've got no issues, and just sometimes the, the guy throwing the ball is better than you that day. So, um, you know, w- would you like seven, eight runs, nine runs every game? Sure, that's just not going to happen in, in the SEC. This just in, there is a slew of top five round arms in this league right now. Yes. Just yeah. everywhere you look. Yeah, and uh, and yesterday Vanderbilt got to a pretty good young one, right? Uh, Blake Tidwell. Blake Tidwell had been throwing the ball really well, and – and you, you go into that game yesterday thinking that Tennessee has the advantage pitching and, and you know, Vanderbilt got to a, a young pitcher. And, and so that was, that was, I don't know if it's surprising, but that was nice to see. I'm glad you said that because Tennessee went to its closer, Kirby Connell, what, fourth, fifth inning Sunday. And Connell had been just shutting everybody down. Now, he's not dominant. He's got a fastball that tops out at maybe 88 or so, but that's exactly the type of guy who gives Vandy fits. They brought him in. I'm just thinking I could just see a lefty slop tosser shutting them down. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to Kirby Connell. His off-speed stuff is really good, but I'm just thinking that's exactly the type of guy that I could see getting Tennessee through three or four innings and you look up and all of a sudden, you know, Vanderbilt hasn't scored any more runs and they hit the tar out of that kid. Yeah, I, and, and that was one thing Saturday that I said that um, he came in Saturday and Vanderbilt did not make him work much. And looking ahead, even if Vanderbilt was going to lose that game Saturday, it would have been nice to see Connell throw more pitches so he maybe couldn't come back Sunday, but obviously it didn't make a difference. But, yeah, I thought the same thing, and that's just kind of just kind of the way the SEC baseball is. You know, uh, uh, coaches on Sundays, they just throw out all stops, and, you know, you, if you think you need to, you bring your closer in in the fourth or fifth inning, whatever it was, and it, it, I don't know if it backfired for Tennessee. It just didn't work out. The next one, PWB, I'm sorry, this is from JT Chat, the third. Absent lighter and rocker throwing complete game victories. Do we have any chance to win the SEC tournament this year, considering the relatively few arms available to Tim Corbin? Uh, Well, I'd want to see what the health is like at the end of the year. I I mean, I I say yes, just because, and and Chris, you know this more than I do, Um, I know Mississippi State's got a lot of arms. I don't know how many teams, even with Vanderbilt's injuries, have as much, you know, have a ton of arms. I think every team has is, is pro- probably pretty top-heavy. But, again, I don't know SEC baseball bullpens enough to know. But I think is if they stay in the winner's bracket, they've got, you know, they've got enough arms. You know, into the year, a guy like Miles Garrett could give him some big innings. Ethan Smith comes back. He's a guy that could start a game and give you seven innings. I mean, I know he hasn't been stretched out this year. You know, Christian Little, th- there's – you know, it hasn't been as consistent as probably, you know, we expected, and especially with the injuries. But there, there's some you, Thomas Schultz. There, there's some guys that, that can that can give him some good starts. I'm going to try to find this. Um, 
I've got a spreadsheet in front of me of every pitcher in the league who's thrown an inning this year. Um, I just need to, to pull it up here. And I look at base runners per innings pitch, because especially a couple months in, ERAs can be a little bit fluky. You can you can strain a few yeah. guys or leave the bases loaded a few times or, or say the opposite happens or you, you give up your hits at the wrong time. I, I'm going to go um, – I'm going to give you the top – eight or nine pitchers on Vandy's staff, and I'm going to give you the base runners per innings pitched. And this is going order of innings pitched. Uh, Lighter, 55 and a third, .78. Rocker, 55 innings, .84. Schultz, 30 and a third, 1.33. Little, 22.2, 1.67. By the way, Little is not going to end up throwing their fourth most innings in postseason. That was a product of midweek starts. McIlvain, right. 20 and a third, 1.09. Maldonado, 20. 0.60. Uh, I'm going to leave Laboki off. He was doing really well, but I don't know if they'll have him again. Riley, 20, 1.15. Murphy, 14, 1.29. And then, and then Ethan Smith, 11 and two-thirds, 1.16. Arkansas, the number one team in the country right now. Let me read you Arkansas's pitching compared to Vandy's. Again, this is the number one team in the country. Palette, 37 and two-thirds, 1.37. Lockhart, 37, 1.43. Wicklander, 34, 1.38. Vermillion, 35 and 1.24. Cops, 32 and 1.06. Uh, Caleb Bolden, 23 and a third, 1.60. Cole Ramage, 19 innings, 1.79. Caden Monk, 18, 1.22. That is the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, the eighth guy is Ryan Costo, I guess you pronounce it. 15 innings, 1.27, and then 10 is Elijah Trent, 13 and two-thirds, 1.52. There's no comparison in those two staffs. And Arkansas is the number one team in the country. Now, look, I could pick other teams. Uh, Mississippi State's would be a much more favorable comparison to Vanderbilt, but that's the number one team in the country, and that's their top arms. Uh, and there's no comparison between the staff. So my my point is you think Vandy, some people think there's this myth that they don't have great pitching outside those three guys. Well, yeah, everybody doesn't look as good compared to those guys. And and true, I will also say there, there are times that I've been concerned in certain spots, but you, you kind of reshuffle the deck when you get into postseason and your top arms are the guys who, who see time. Now, Mississippi state, uh, They've got a really good staff, too, and, and I think theirs compares pretty fairly to Vandy. I won't spend the time to read all the numbers, but my point is I just read you the stats of the number one team in the country after Vanderbilt, and it's not close. So I think they're in much better shape than people know. I think we all love college college baseball and Vanderbilt fans and fans of all schools. It's just very few – and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think I'm right – very few – fans know the sport of college baseball outside of their team like you might college football or college basketball it's just there's not as much information there's not as much to know so you kind of watch your team in a vacuum and you got to realize that um there's you you know just not many teams have the talent i mean people know that the talent that vanderbilt has but you can't just say oh they don't have enough arms then you look up the numbers like you did and it proves that vanderbilt does have enough arms I always say this, everybody has issues. Everybody's got an issue or something somewhere that every fan base is freaking out saying, 
we're going to get to Omaha, and this is going to cost us a game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's not the case with Vandy, but you've got to put your issues on the scale with everybody else's issues. And I I think that when you rack up their issues to anybody else's issues, uh, they compare very favorably, if not come out outright on top. Yeah, I mean, again, without knowing, all, but I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure Arkansas fans are, are freaking out that they gave up, you know, bunch of runs to Texas in one game and on a Friday night they gave up a bunch of runs to Louisiana Tech in you know um but yeah it's and one thing Vanderbilt has done is they're getting healthier is they kind of survived the uh the, the injuries to the the position players you know Isaiah Thomas back Cooper Davis back although Cooper's not really hitting the ball well uh any update on Colwick you know it's probably been what four weeks he was on the 30 this weekend he was, he was. yep that's team okay. source confirmed that to me so they say he can play in the field, but I just don't know what you do with them because, I mean, it's not like Nolan's been bad at second. Some people on the board were talking about moving him to left, but I'm like, if you take away his power, which is going to happen with a handmade injury, I don't think he's a better hitter than Cooper Davis, and Davis has played left a lot more. Um, I, mean, I think if Davis continues to struggle, it's a difficult question that Tim Corbin's going to have to ask himself. Yeah, and I need to. I guess I need to look at what Cooper did this weekend. I don't know, to be honest, how bad or, or not bad it was. Um, let's see. I got the scorebook from yesterday. F nine sacrifice four three and pop six. He's hitting one ninety in SEC with a two fourteen slugging. Okay, well that's not good. Um, but let's let's also be fair, right? It's twice he's come back from injuries, and sometimes yeah. it takes you. Uh, your time to get your timing back. I'm not saying he's been great, but I understand that kind of a necessary Parker, evil. Hitting, Parker Nolan's only hitting 217. Right. SEC, but he's slugging 400. And he hit better this weekend. Yeah. He only struck out, I think, three times. My, my point is that getting a guy playing time to let him get his timing back is sort of a necessary evil. And Cooper's gone through a lot of that. Okay, Friday, yeah. uh, ground out to the infield, double. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm reading Carter Young. Um, <laughs> did Cooper not play Friday? No, he did. They had the same lineup all three games. Okay, I must be. Oh, I'm looking at EKU. They benched him for that one. Um, okay. Ground out, uh, fly ball to center, double ground out. So, I mean, at least he's making contact. Um I don't know. I'm just not ready to throw the towel in on Cooper Davis. I'm probably in the minority right now, but I've seen too much good play on that kid. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But that's, I mean, it's good to know that that, that Colwick's back at least. Um, I want to ask you a question. Would you, I, he pitched on Wednesday, on Tuesday, and then I know he didn't pitch great on Saturday. But uh, what kind of prospect is Donye Evans? I like, I like the look of that kid. I don't know. He's a kid who I think. Um, pitched pretty well in either the fall or winter and, and kind of popped up on the radar. Um, he's got a 33% strikeout rate, which is excellent. Um, of course, he's only yeah, pitched an inning and two thirds. So he was because of, you know, injuries and, 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 and all that stuff. But that, that was a big spot to put him in, uh, both actually on Tuesday with just a two-run lead and then in the Tennessee game. And he actually made a nice play on a bunt or a little, I don't know if it's a bunt or a little chopper. Uh, throwing someone out at first there. So, uh, you know, only pitched a third of an inning, gave up a hit and a run. But um, I just, he's not a guy I expected to see in a key spot in the SEC series. Well, they've hit a run of bad luck, right? The Laboki injury with Doolin already out, and then Smith has been caught up 
asymptomatic yeah. in quarantine for two weeks. Uh, I think they get him back this weekend. I think that's what I, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I got a little, little info on that this morning. Uh, it sounds like it's, it's potentially trending that way. And if you get Ethan Smith back, I'm going to guess he can give you four good innings. And then that pushes some of these guys who are, uh, you know, who yeah. make the, the heart race a little bit when you put them in the game uh, to the fringe where you're probably just using them in blowouts to this point. Yeah, it just, it just deepens your, your pen, obviously. Yeah, that's another way to say it, a much shorter way. So, yeah. let's see. Oh, this is a good question. Who will be the third player selected? Are you saying for ones weren't good questions? Uh, no, they were not, apparently. That was that okay. was the only good question we've been asked. That's that's what I mean. Um, I'm kidding for people who don't understand sarcasm. Um, the U Titans, I love this question. Who will be the third player selected for Vanderbilt in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft? Hmm. I think it will be Fisher, Hugh Fisher. It might. I'm, I'm going to give you some candidates here. Uh, he looked, it was only one batter, but he looked a lot better. Uh, he looked dominant, obviously, this Saturday as opposed to the previous weekend. There are basically two outcomes with Hugh Fisher. Yeah. He beats you or he beats himself. Yeah, you're not, you're basically, you're not going to hit the ball. Either Co- you're going to strike it or you're going to Um... I'll give you the candidates. Rodriguez. Rodriguez is eligible? Yes, unfortunately. I believe he is. Um, Isaiah Thomas. Sorry, before you go on, I know I'm interrupting you a lot. Is Jack Bulger, I know he's recruited as a catcher, and I know they've got better catching depth than they've ever had, but if if CJ leaves after this year, does Bulger potentially be a catcher next year, or is that Max Romero's job? I tell you, the guy they love defensively is Espinal. Okay. So I wouldn't be shocked if they keep Bulger in left, catch Espinal and DH Romero. Okay. Um, just a just a little bit of a guess there, but um, go ahead. Sorry, Bulger, I think, is regarded as a top catching uh, as a catching prospect, and that that I'm sure that's a bat first. Yeah. And and I think eventually they'll try to give him a shot behind the plate, is my guess, because he is. I mean, that bad at catcher, that, that knocks you up a couple of rounds. I mean, he may be a first-rounder anyway, for all I know. But um, Thomas it was kind of a preseason second-round type. Uh, Keegan, I don't know what the pros think on Keegan. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing to base this on, but would you be shocked if he came back next year? <sighs> Probably. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if shock's the word, but surprised maybe. I just think he's too good a hitter. Yeah. Um, Fisher, for sure. Ethan Smith is going to be in that talk. Murphy's going to be in that talk. Um, Boy, that's a tough one. I, I, I have a hard time. You might be right. It just takes one organization to love you. And, and you see a lot of really great arms that don't have a huge tracker record of success that will get taken you know, say round two, three, four. Uh, so right. maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, that's, that's tough. Far from a scout. So, but just based on, you know, and I, I guess it basically depends, obviously depends on what people think of Isaiah Thomas and the other guys. Um, you know, if they think he's a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder, as opposed to second or third rounder. Well, Thomas has gotten his strikeout rate down. 
a yes. little bit, which is going to help. So I, I don't know who I'd take. I might lean Rodriguez just because the defense has been so good. But I have no information on, on scouts or, or any rumblings about where they're going to to really give you a good judgment there. Yeah, interesting question there. So, yeah. Let's see. I think that's about it with regards to baseball. There, there's a there's a Zeppos question here, but I know you're you're in a time pinch. So I'm just going to give you the floor to go where you want. Uh, again, there were a lot of spring game questions we didn't go to, but Mitch didn't see it, so that's that's why we went away. Anything of note we didn't speak of? I know there's been some basketball transfers, uh, uh, some really good ones too, by the way. So. I'll give it to yeah, you to, have, to, to go where you like here to finish. I assume you saw the one from TCU before we started broadcasting. Taryn Frank, I did, yes. Yeah, yeah. who played, I guess, played with Pippen and didn't play much at TCU. I don't know the situation there, but um, I think Vanderbilt recruited him out of high school there. So, I mean, that's the thing with the transfer portal. You're going to lose – every school's losing guys, and you're going to gain some guys, and that's just the way it is this year. Um, so, no, not really. Um you know, uh, Joe Rexwood was in uh, Knoxville for the first two games and, and wrote about the series. A lot of it from a Tennessee standpoint, just because of uh, evidently, you know, Tony Vitello was with, with Phil Former had sort of been promised some a lot of facilities stuff. And there's a new regime there. And I don't know if you might know this. You follow college baseball more closely as far as that. But there's been some, you know, pulmonary hot seat Vitello LSU talk out there. And will Tennessee step up and give him what he wants and all that stuff. So uh, uh, Joe dove into that a lot, but also talked, you know, obviously talked a lot about Vanderbilt, too. So he did a good job with that. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. That fan base is in love with him. And I think rightfully so. He's signed some good kids in state. I just think that, frankly... If LSU decides that's who LSU wants, I think that's going to be a tough get for Tennessee to keep. And I wouldn't blame him for leaving. No no shame on Tennessee. I'm not saying they can't have a good program, but LSU's a top, what, five job in America? Yeah, and I you probably heard me say this, and I say this a lot when I do podcasts and media and stuff. You just never know what makes a guy tick. And, you know, does, does, does he want to stay where he is and be there for 20 years, or is he – you know, grew up in Missouri and for some reason loved LSU baseball or, you know, not loved, you know what I'm saying? Just always eyed that as the, the, the program he went to coach. You just never know what may, what, what a guy wants there. Um, so would obviously, obviously be a, you know, difficult decision. You know, he makes, I think 500,000 or something. Maneri, basically Joe said in the story, Maneri makes twice what, what Vitello makes right now at Tennessee. So uh, something to monitor, um, obviously as the season progresses. Or to paraphrase Gary Parrish, everybody's situation is different. I never tell anybody what to do. Exactly. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. Totally. Mitch, what's coming up at the Athletic soon? Uh, that's, you know, like I said, Joe wrote that story. He's going to have in a couple of weeks, the uh, which I wrote last year, but Joe's writing the Vanderbilt State of the Program, which is just sort of like an Athlon sports preview on steroids with a little bit more to it. He's talking to all the coaches and stuff. Um, so, yeah, just uh, more of the same, a lot of spring football coverage coming up. And people follow you on Twitter where? At Athlon. I haven't said that in many weeks. <laughs> you haven't. At Mitch, at Mitch Light. And you didn't call any pitchers locker either. No, I did not. I did not. So I'm, I'm, I'm to blame for that. I'm progressing in some ways. I'm regressing in other ways. <laughs> right. I think that's life for all of us. But in any yeah. case, hey, thanks for joining us. A lot going on. It's been fun to talk to you today, and we'll catch you next week.
All right, see you, Chris. All right, he's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We have many more of these to come later this week.